0: Welcome to The Compass, a podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we share Pastor Kirk's message from April 18, 2021. Now, we would love to have you worship with us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. at 1410 North Porter Road of Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you have any questions about the Word or about our ministry here in Fayetteville, let me encourage you to reach out. You can contact us at info at calvaryfayetteville.com. Or call us at 479 442 4634. Pastor Kirk's message is entitled God's Key to Financial Blessing from Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. Let's listen together.
1: Malachi chapter 3, that's the last book of the Old Testament. And uh, lest any of you uh, think that this was an Italian prophet, Malachi, It is not. He was all Hebrew, I promise. And it is Malachi. It's page number 802, if you'd like to read out of one of the Pew Bibles. I think that struggles with finances is almost a universal problem. Now that being said, there's a vast difference between living as Americans In a land of abundance, even if um, that abundance (laughs) hasn't come to you so much, the poorest in our country, even the homeless of our country, are so far better off than many people in many other parts of the world in what is the norm in those places. And so, uh, when you talk about things like finances and money and possessions, uh, we realize and we acknowledge that uh, sometimes that looks very different here than it looks in a lot of other places. But I want to share with you today what I believe is a guarantee on a good return for your investment. Now, there's a lot of financial counselors that will make promises that if you will purchase their product, their annuities, their investments, whatever, that they can guarantee you a certain return. But you know as well as I know that financial matters in our country are subject to vast um, movements up and down. And oftentimes, there have been people that have had what they thought was a comfortable nest egg, only to realize sometime later that overnight much of it can be lost. Well, I want to talk to you about an investment that can never be lost, guaranteed to always give you a good return because the guarantor is the Lord himself. Now, this is a very unique passage in the Bible. Because, as far as I know in my studies, it is the only passage anywhere in God's Word that challenges us to put God to the test. In fact, there are many occasions we could turn to where God's people got into trouble for putting God to the test, for testing his patience are testing his long suffering by their disobedience and oftentimes they suffered consequences because of it but in this passage the Lord says put me to the test try me test me prove me in fact he doesn't just offer that as an invitation he gives it as a command You are my people, I'm commanding you, this is an imperative, put me to the test in this matter. Well, in what matter are we talking about? We're talking about the tithe, T-I-T-H-E. It is a modern day curse word for many people. But this is what the Lord is talking about. Now, there's going to be several things that are going to be on the screen today. But what I'm about to say to you, first of all, by way of introduction, this is not on the screen. I want to to frame everything we're going to say. I want to frame this with four truths. And I regret that I did not put these on the screen for you, but, but follow me here. Four truths... That frame the whole picture of what I want to say to you today. Number one, possession doesn't mean ownership, it means responsibility. Whatever you possess, it may be, you know, nine tenths of the law or whatever, but understand from God's perspective, your possessions are not something you truly own they are just something that you are responsible for the more you have the more you have to give account for the less you have the less you have to give account for possession doesn't mean ownership it means responsibility number two you, and this goes right along with what we just said. You are not the owner of your money and your stuff. You are the manager of it. You are not the owner of it. You are the manager of it. Truth number three. How you handle the money and possessions under your care is the most important tangible expression of your relationship with Christ. You say I don't I don't see where money and possessions have anything to do with my relationship with Christ. The reason you would say that is because you've not read the Bible. Because how you handle your money and your possessions is the most tangible. It is the most hands-on. It is the most measurable expression of your relationship with Christ that there is. And number four, God is just as interested in how you handle the 90% you have left over as he is about the 10% that you give to him in the tithe. God is just as concerned about what you do with the 90% as he is what you do with the 10%. We'll flesh all of this out, but those four truths frame the picture of what I'm going to say today. Possession doesn't mean ownership. It means responsibility. You are not the owner of your money and your stuff. You are just the manager of it. How you handle the money and possessions under your care is the most tangible expression of your relationship with Christ. And God is just as interested in how you handle the 90% as He is about the 10%. Now, let's do something else before we get into the three points of this message from the text. Let's be sure we understand what the tithe is. Now you say, well, I understand the tithe. It's 10%. But let me give you some other perspectives of it. First of all, that's true. Mathematically, it is a tenth. The Bible says in the book of Genesis, at least two occasions, that Abraham gave him, meaning uh, King King Melchizedek, he gave him a tenth of everything. A tenth is what he gave. And by the way, that was a practice long before the law was ever given. In case you're wondering, well, the tithe is just under the law, and we're not under the law, right? Well, Abraham practiced the tithe long before the the law ever came along. Later, Jesus endorsed the tithe. Long after the law was no longer binding, but we were under grace. Mathematically, it is a tenth. Scripturally, we can say it is a law. You find in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 14, the Bible talks about uh, bringing the tithes to the Lord and that the Lord will bless you for that. Scripturally, it is a law. Morally, it is a debt. It is a debt. Our scripture in Malachi, God said, you have robbed me. You've robbed me what you owe me. It is a debt. Economically, it is an investment. An investment. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Mount, to lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. It is an investment. Luke chapter 6, Jesus says give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. If you are a cheapskate in your giving to the Lord, then the Lord may very well show you what it's like to be a cheapskate when it comes to the blessings you receive. He says the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Spiritually, it is a blessing. He promises in our text that he will open the windows of heaven and pour down a blessing when you are faithful in this area of your life. The bottom line of all of that, the bottom line, that mathematically it is a tenth, scripturally it is a law, morally it is a debt, Economically, it is an investment. Spiritually, it is a blessing. The bottom line is this. Tithing is God's key to financial blessings. Now, let me say this to you so that you understand it. Because oftentimes, over the years, when people, when pastors have preached about tithing, it is because so many people are disobedient in this area of their lives. But in doing so, they've unwittingly communicated to people that the tithe is the max of what you should ever give to the Lord. And understand, the tithe is basic foundational obedience. And it should be where everybody starts. It should never be where your life and your finances end in regards to giving to God. We'll talk more about that as we go along. So Let's look at our text, the book of Malachi chapter Uh, 3. This last message. Now, keep in mind, you say, well, why is that really all so important? Keep this in mind. Malachi, this book, these four chapters, is the last time God is going to speak to his people for 400 years. It's the last time he's going to say anything to his people for 400 years. After this book closes out, generations will come and go, and there will be no new word from the Lord until John the Baptist comes as one, as a voice crying in the wilderness that breaks the silence of the Lord. So these are important words. And he addresses in the book of Malachi several things to his people. He talks to them about their worship. He talks to them about their sacrifices. He talks to them about their lives and the way that they're living it. He talks to them about neglecting God's house. He talks to them about being unfaithful in their tithes and offerings. These people that God had loved, that God had called, that God had preserved, that God had nurtured, Still, after all the story of the Old Testament, we're still not following him in loving obedience. And he's giving them his final words for 400 years he'll not speak. So these words are important. I I share three things with you from this passage. First of all, the question. First of all, the question, or maybe I would say questions. Look again, beginning at verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? And God's answer to that is verse 8. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Now, folks, those are sobering words. And basically, you, you have three questions. To ask. And I'm not going to break them all down, but, but the Lord says, return to me. You've strayed away from me. Return to me. And they ask the first question, how shall we return? How do we come back to you? What is the the first step? What is the way that that we get close to you again? If we have strayed, how can we come back to you? And Jesus, or God, uh, responds to them with a question. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. You are robbing me. And then they ask another question How have we robbed you? Someone might ask today Is God really interested in how we handle our money? You see here, God said the first way, the first step that you can tangibly once again acknowledge me as your Lord and as your master is to stop holding out on me. Stop robbing me. You're taking what is mine And you are using it selfishly for yourself. Some might ask, what does our money have to do with our walk with God? And the Bible answers us very clearly, absolutely, yes, God is interested in how we handle our money. And what does our money have to do with our walk with God? It has everything to do with our walk with God. It is shocking what all the Bible has to say about money and possessions and how we handle them. Let me give you some examples. These are just from the teachings of Jesus in the Gospels, the Bible, and money. Did you know that during His earthly ministry, Jesus taught 38 parables? You remember the parables? Those heavenly stories with an earthly meaning that we often define them as he would give a story and and those who were who were seeking to find fault in his teaching would just scratch their heads not understanding what he was talking about but those who had a heart that was open to God they could understand and hear some particular biblical truth or insight God is communicating Jesus taught 38 parables in the New Testament did you know that 16 of them almost half deal with money and possessions and how we handle it. 16 of 38 parables of Jesus talk about money and possessions. Did you know that in the Gospels, roughly one out of every 10 verses deal with money and possessions? 10% of everything we read in the Gospels have to do with money and possessions. Did you know that the Bible devotes 500 verses to prayer? Is prayer important? Tell me. Yes. The Bible devotes almost 500 verses to faith. Is faith important? Tell me. Absolutely. The Bible says you can't please God without it. 500 verses on the subject of prayer, almost 500 on the subject of faith, but over 2,000 verses to wise stewardship of money and possessions. Four times as many verses deal with money and possessions as deal with faith and prayer. In fact, Jesus said more about the stewardship of money and possessions, how we handle it, what should be our attitude towards it. Jesus said more about stewardship of money and possessions than he did about heaven and hell combined. Do you believe that there is a heaven, a real, literal heaven? Do you? Do you believe that there is a real hell awaiting all those who reject Christ? Absolutely. Jesus had more to say about how you handle your money than he did about either of those two eternal destinies. The key truth is this, as I've already said, tithing is the foundation principle when it comes to understanding what God has said about money in the the Bible. The matter of 10% belonging to God and us faithfully devoting it to God is a matter of obedience. If you want to be known for your generosity, if you want to be known as a generous person, Christian, Which, by the way, should be a synonymous term, generous Christian. That should be just redundant to have to say that. Generosity is really what you get into when you go beyond that step of obedience in the tithe. Now, again, as I mentioned before, some people argue that we are not under the Old Testament law, but we are under grace. And under grace, we are not obligated to the tithe. Here is what Jesus said in speaking to the scribes and Pharisees who were experts in self-righteousness. This is found in Matthew 23 and verse 23. You may want to make a note of that because you may want to read it for yourself. Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, that's what he called them, For you tithe even of the spices in your garden. You tithe mint and dill and cumin. In other words, you are meticulous about your tithes. You tithe even of the smallest things. But you have neglected the weightier matters of the law. Justice and mercy, and faithfulness. Now you say so far, it sounds like Jesus is emphasizing other things so much more than the tithe and that the tithe is not important. He is justice, mercy, and faithfulness. They are the weightier matters. They are the greater matters. But listen to these sentence, this last sentence. These you ought to have done. What? Tithe of even the smallest thing of your mint and your dill and your cumin. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Did you get the message of it? You scribes and Pharisees, you are so self-righteous about your tithes But your hearts are from me. What is he saying? You can go through the motions of obedience about the tithe and still not be right with God. He said you need to give attention to these greater matters of the heart and your attitude towards other people. But you should not do that to the exclusion of the obedience to tithe. It's not an either or. It is a both and These you ought to have done without neglecting others. And to those who would argue, we are not under the law, we are under grace, I have one question. I believe it's a key question. If a 10% tithe was required of a Jew under the law, why would I, a Christ follower living under God's grace, want to do any less? The Jew under the law had not seen or experienced or known the wonderful story of the sacrificial, the atoning death of Jesus Christ. They were living under a weight of laws and many of them were meticulous about keeping those laws. We don't have to live under the weight of those laws. We don't have to bring sacrifices as they did and go through all of those detailed steps. I've been reading through the book of Leviticus, and I just want to get beyond it. It is just awful having to live under that, but understand it was all pointing towards Christ. Now we've experienced Christ. And in my gratitude and in my love, Why would I want some Jew under the law to be more faithful in his finances than I am under grace? Okay. Before we go to point number two, let's be sure we understand the question, and I want to give you a test. Okay? Here it is If you earned $500 last week, how much of it belongs to God? There you go. Some of you saw through my subterfuge. I expected someone to say $50 because that's 10%. No, if you earned $500 last week, every last penny of it belongs to God. And God tells you, you ought to start by giving Him 10%. Okay, that's the question. Here's the command, verse 10, the first part of verse 10. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. (coughs) Excuse me. Here's the command. It's the imperative. Bring the full tithe. You heard about the generic church down the street, didn't you? They were enticing people to join their church because the tithe there was only 7%. That's a preacher joke. That's why so few of you laughed. It's interesting that he says full tithe because if it's less than that, it's not a tithe. But also understand that if you really, I don't want to blow your minds here, if you really make an in-depth study from the law about the tithe and how they tithed and were required to tithe, Some who have studied that, some Old Testament scholars said the tithe and the expectation was really, when added up, closer to 30% for God's people. And he says bring the full tithe into the storehouse. That's what God commands us. Let me give you five truths about the stewardship of tithing of why it's so important. You might say, well, doesn't God own everything? Doesn't, isn't he the king of the universe? Why, why does he have to meddle with that little bit that I have, that I earn every week? Why is it that, that in light of the kingdom of God, in light of, of even my local church, my little bit doesn't really make that big of a difference? Why is it such a big deal that I tithe? Let me give you five reasons. The first one is this. Number one, it produces spiritual maturity. It produces spiritual maturity. Luke 16, 11 is the verse you need to acknowledge and, and write down. Why? Because the Lord says here, If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, In unrighteous money, who will entrust to you the true riches? If you have been unfaithful with money, which is unrighteous, it is kind of a neutral thing. If you've been unfaithful in something as small as your money, who is going to entrust to you what really counts? What is the true riches of life? What are the true riches of life? I believe a personal relationship with Christ, God's peace, God's joy, a deep understanding of spiritual truth and values. My friend, these are the true riches. These are the eternal riches and so much more. And the Bible's telling us, if we are not faithful in this, in this, why will he trust you with this? There was a gentleman that I went to Bible college with. He, too, a pastor. Still to this day, serving the Lord. But I remember some 30 years ago, Traveling to another state to preach a revival for for him and his church. And uh, spending a week in his home. And and he and his wife and Tony and I were all in college together. And I never will forget something he said one night after church as we sat in his living room before going to bed. After the services. And he said something that to this day I regret that I did not confront him on. He said, you know, Kirk, this church practically starves me and my wife to death. They don't pay us what they should. They have a reputation. They've never paid pastors what they should pay them. And he said, for that reason, we don't feel like we are obligated at all to tithe or to support this church. And he didn't. And he left that church in a bad, bad place. And he went to his next church. And after about six months, that church folded up and closed its doors. And then he just moved on to another place. My first thought is, as I study the scriptures, is God did not entrust him with spiritual maturity because he did not obey God in this matter of his wallet. You should never, ever want a pastor or a church leader, an elder, or a deacon who is not faithful and obedient in how he handles his money. It's a key to spiritual maturity. Not only that... But the reason it's important is it deals with the person, not the purse. Did you get that? It's important because it deals with the person, not the purse. It's not about your wallet, it's not about how much you have or don't have, it's about your heart. Do you love God? Do you desire to please God? Do you want to walk in obedience to God? Do you want God to bless you? Then obey Him in this simple matter. A person can tithe and not be surrendered to Christ as Lord. That's what the scribes and Pharisees did. But I want to say this. When you flip that over, a person cannot be surrendered to Christ as Lord and not tithe. If you are not faithful in at least the tithe, then you are a hypocrite when you call Him Lord. Number three, it forces us to gain the true perspective of the Christian life. The true perspective of the Christian life. What is that perspective? It's what we started off with today. God is the owner, and I am the what? Manager. It puts all of that in its right perspective. God is the owner. I am the manager. Another reason it is important is because it begins with loving, not giving. It begins with loving, not giving. What is it that Paul told the Corinthians? God loves what kind of giver? A cheerful you know what the word is in the Greek? Do you know? It's the word hilarious. Hilarious. God loves hilarious givers. I preached this whole concept and idea to a church I pastored in Texas one time. First Baptist Church of Red Oak, Texas. God blessed that church so much. We grew from About 350 to over 700 had as high as almost 1,000 and some special services. It was just abounding in in joy. There were times in our service that during the song service, people would start coming to the altar and and offering themselves to God. There were a couple of times that I never even got to preach because God just took over the service. But I talked to them about what it meant to be a cheerful, a hilarious giver. That it begins with love, not giving. And I said, the highlight of every service ought to be when, when we have a chance to give of our tithes and offerings to God. And lo and behold, the next Sunday, and it kept up for as long as I was there until I resigned and moved on, that when I called for the ushers to come, the men in the back would run down the aisles and the people would yell and cheer just like the Razorbacks hit another home run. It was crazy. But they were developing an attitude What a joy it is to love God and be able to show it in this way. Don't be a grudging giver. Be a lover of Jesus Christ. 1 John 3, 17 says, But if anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? You know what this world's attitude is, don't you? Get all you can, can all you get, and then sit on the can and not let anybody have any of it. And I'm gonna tell you that is that is the spirit of Antichrist. That is ungodly. It is devilish. It is demonic. We should be generous, loving givers. A fifth, the reason it's important is it reveals the true heart of a person. It reveals the true heart of a person. What does that mean? Matthew 6, 21 says, Where your treasure is, is what? It's where your heart is. What you value is where your heart is. Is devoted what you treasure as being all-important is where your heart is you know that's a reciprocal statement you can flip it and it's still true where your heart is is where your treasure will be that's just the truth and so when I see a stingy person that claims to know Christ When I see a disobedient person who does not follow even the most fundamental basic truths about handling finances and money, I see someone whose heart is not where it ought to be. I'm not the judge of that. It's not my place. I know I don't know all of their circumstances, but as we will see in a minute, Many times the very circumstances that you use or a person uses as a reason not to be obedient in tithes and offerings is the result of not being faithful in tithes and offerings. And by withholding, their situation is not getting better, it is only getting worse. So we have the question, we have the command. Number three, what is the compensation? What's in it for me? Isn't that what we all really want to know? What's the compensation? Look at the last part of verse 10. And thereby, by bringing your full tithe into the storehouse, thereby put me to the test. That's the challenge. That's where God says, put me to the test. Here, test me, try me, prove me, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you, would you like for Jesus to open the windows of heaven for you? Sign me up for that. And pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Would you like for the Lord to pour out on you a blessing till there is no longer any more need? Sign me up for that. I will rebuke the devourer, the one who, who devours your stuff. That's the bill collector. That's the mechanic. That's all those people that send you the bills every month. He says, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. And your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. The Lord says, if you'll test me and try me in this matter, if you'll walk in obedience to me, there's three things I'll do for you. Three things. First of all, I will pour out a blessing. I will pour out a blessing. Can anybody use one today? Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. Can I just give you the testimony of some other people? Can I just read to you some testimonies about this? Listen to these words. Yes, I tithe, and I would like to tell you how it all came about. I had to begin work as a small boy to help support my mother. My first wages amounted to a dollar and fifty cents per week. You can tell by that that this was a long time ago. The first week after I went to work, I took the dollar and fifty cents home to my mother, and she held the money in her lap and explained to me that she would be happy if I would give a tenth of it to the Lord. I did. And from that week until this day, I have tithed. Every dollar God has entrusted to me. And I want to say, if I, had, if I had not tithed the first dollar I made, I would not have tithed the first million dollars I made. Tell your readers to train up the children to tithe, and they will grow up to be faithful stewards of the Lord. That's the testimony of John D. Rockefeller, Sr., Testimony number two. A young man accepted for the African missionary field reported at New York for passage on the ship, but found on further examination that his wife could not stand the climate. He was heartbroken, but he prayerfully returned to his home and determined to make all the money he could to be used in spreading the kingdom of God over the world. His father, a dentist, had started to make an unfermented wine for the communion service. This young man took the business over and developed it until it assumed vast proportions. His name was Welch, and his family still manufactures grape juice. He has given millions of dollars to the work of missions. Testimony number three. Years ago, a young man began a small cheese business in Chicago. His business failed, and he was deeply in debt. You didn't take God into your business. You have not worked with Him, said a Christian friend. Then the young man thought, If God wants to run the cheese business, He can do it, and I'll work for Him and with Him. From that moment, God became the senior partner in his business. The business grew and prospered and became the largest cheese business in the world. You know his name, J.L. Kraft of the Kraft Cheese Company. Testimony number four. A young man of 16 years named William left home to seek his fortune All of his worldly possessions were tied in one bundle and carried in one hand. He met an old canal boat captain. William told him that his father was too poor to keep him, and the only trade he knew was soap and candle making. The old man then knelt and prayed earnestly for the boy, leaving him with this advice. Someone will soon be the leading soap maker in New York. It can be be you as well as anyone else. Be a good man. Give your heart to Christ. Pay the Lord all that belongs to Him. Make an honest soap. Give a full pound, and I'm certain you'll be a prosperous and rich man. Once in the city he remembered the captain's words. And though poor and lonely, he united with the church. When the first dollar was earned, he gave 10% to God. Ten cents of every dollar were sacred to the Lord. Having regular employment, he soon became a partner and later sole owner of the business. He made an honest soap, gave a full pound, and instructed his bookkeeper to open an account with the Lord of 10% of all of his income. The business grew, so he gave then 30%, then 40%, then 50%. And finally, he gave all of his income to God. That is the story of William Colgate, who has given millions to the Lord's cause. Okay, maybe one more. Henry P. Crowell contracted tuberculosis when just a boy. As a result, he could not attend school. After hearing a sermon by Dwight L. Moody, young Crowell prayed, I can't be a preacher, but I can be a good businessman. God, if you will let me make money, I will use it in your service. Under the doctor's advice, Crowell worked outdoors for seven years and regained his health. He then bought a little run-down mill in Ravenna, Ohio. Within 10 years, Quaker Oats was a household word to millions of people. For more than 40 years, Henry P. Crowell faithfully gave 60 to 70% of his income to God's causes, having started from the 10% tithe. These examples all prove that you cannot outgive God. You may say, and you may be thinking, well, all those people made tons of money, not until they were obedient. They didn't make anything until they made a commitment of obedience to the Lord. And then as God prospered them, they moved from obedience to generosity. You say, well, I'm just a small person. So were they. So were they. I'll never be be significant. You don't know that. But maybe not. You may be insignificant in people's eyes all of your life. But I remember a day when Jesus said over close to the treasury of the temple in Jerusalem, when people were dropping money into the treasury box, when many wealthy people were sounding trumpets and making announcements, look at me, look what I'm giving to God. And then came a poor, insignificant widow woman who basically had the equivalent of about two pennies. And she came and she dropped her two cents worth into the treasury. And Jesus said, all of these others gave out of their abundance. She gave out of her need. And because of that, in the eyes of God, she has given more than all the rest. That's how God counts. So what does he promise us? What does he promise us in the way of compensation? He will pour out a blessing. He promises that. But number two, verse 11, he says, He will rebuke the devourer for you. He will rebuke the devourer. Did you know that everybody tithes? Did you know that? Everybody tithes. Some people tithe to God, some people tithe to the doctor, to the IRS, to the mechanic to the repair et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Wouldn't you prefer to give to God than to all of those other people? I've, listen, I've given to the IRS all that I want to give to them. Can I get a witness? <laughs> I hate, I love a, my, our mechanic friend, But I hate giving him my money. I do. And we're going to have that stuff just living in life. But I'm going to suggest to you that if you neglect God and are disobedient to God in the matter of the tithe, the devourer is going to eat away at what you have more than he would have if you were obedient to the Lord. Why do I know that? Because the Lord says, if you're obedient in this matter, I will rebuke the devourer. That's a promise from God. If God doesn't do it, God is not a God of his word. Not only does he promise a blessing, not only does he promise to rebuke the devourer, but verse 3 or verse 12 tells us he will make you a land of delight and a blessing to others how would you like to know that god has made you and your home and your family a land of delight i don't know what that looks like for sure i don't know what all that means I do know what it means when it says He will make you a blessing to others. Would you like to be a blessing to others? Would you like to be blessed of God in the matter of your finances that you always have extra to give to the needs of people around you? Obey God. There's a simple solution. Obey God. Richard Wormbrand, a pastor in the communist country of Romania a number of years ago, was imprisoned for his faith. Awful, awful prison. Many Christians were placed in this prison, and many non Christians who were one to the Lord. But here was Richard Wormbrand, and the question was. How do I give to God when I'm here and I have nothing? And so he and the other Christians began to do this. That their daily rations of food, a little bit of bread, a little bit of greasy water that was called soup, a little bit of dirty water to drink, that they would come together and thank God for what God had provided for them. And they would all tithe of that food and they would take the tithe and they would give it as extra to the sickest man in the prison that's what you call having a heart to follow God many people many of those men were led to the Lord because of the generosity of God's people well let's draw this to a close you can close up your Bibles, musicians go ahead and come to the platform Now, don't start packing up so much. I want to kind of draw this to a close. Beloved, listen to me. Tithing is not a matter of can I afford it. There are those who have so little That their idea is, once life gets more comfortable, I'll be obedient. But life is not going to get more comfortable. Even if you make more money, it's not going to get more comfortable. Delayed obedience is still disobedience. Did you know that? It is. So, no matter how little you make, it's not a matter of can't afford it. Likewise, there are some who, because they prosper and have been blessed so much from the Lord, they have so much. You know what? Sometimes they decide, I can't afford a tithe because it would be so stinking much. Understand, it's not a matter of can I afford it, no matter which end you're on. It's not a matter of theological viewpoint about the law and about grace. It's not a matter of your personal philosophy. To be very honest, your personal philosophy does not trump God's Word. It does not. Tithing is a matter of love for God and obedience to Him. It's a foundation. It's a starting place that God will use it to bless you so that you can move from obedience to generosity like so many of these others that we read their testimonies this morning. Calvary Church, let's be a faithful, obedient, generous, and giving church. Amen? Amen. Remember the old song? We used to sing it in my home church. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. You remember that? All your money, talents, time and love, consecrate them all upon the altar while your Savior from above speaks sweetly. Trust me, try me, prove me, saith the Lord of hosts, and see if a blessing, unmeasured blessing, I will not pour out on thee. When my wavering faith in trials falters, when his guiding hand, I cannot see. Then in wondrous love and tender mercy, through his word he says to me, my child, just trust me. Try me. Prove me, saith the Lord of hosts. If a blessing, unmeasured blessing, I will not pour out on thee. I have yielded him my life forever. Have you? Have you done that? All I am or have or hope to be Not on earth my hold on him can sever. While I hear him say to me, My child, just trust me. Try me. Prove me, saith the Lord of hosts, and see if a blessing, unmeasured blessing, I will not pour out on thee. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for this truth. Thank you for a church that loves you and gives generously. I pray that more of our members and more of those who are under the sound of my voice will learn obedience in this area of their lives, will grow in their love for you and their devotion to you. And we do want to put you to the test, and we pray that you will move on our behalf. We ask it in Jesus' name
0: amen. Our hearts desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfedville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.